How many of you squirmed a bit when you saw the title of this sermon or its description? I thought I was being very clever when I wrote it intentionally to use who instead of whom, but I have to admit that when I saw it in the order of service last week as the upcoming sermon, and then when I saw it on the website of all the public places, I cringed a little, and I had not a little bit of regret. More than one person pointed out that in the description of the sermon, conjuncts is not a verb, the word is conjunct, and it's only an adjective or a conjunctive adverb or a noun. What must you think of me and my intelligence? Well, I wanted to talk today about the worship of the written word and where creeds and deeds meet covenant. And as as often said of preachers, I preach what I need to hear and allow others to listen. I've been reading Michael Dowd and some other materials that talk about how we as a culture worship the written word. And um, Michael Dowd and Connie Barlow are married, and they travel around talking about big history and religious naturalism. We'll save religious naturalism for another day, but big history, if I phrase it in UU terms, is very close to what our Unitarian ancestor Theodore Parker um preached about in his sermon, The Transient and Permanent in Christianity, what holds true through the ages and what we can let go of because it's no longer relevant. So so an example would be um, that one of the things we could let go of it would be like stoning people to death or something like that, right? That wouldn't be what we would do just because it says that's what is done. Other writings about worship of the written words talk about the belief that if it's not in a memo, then it doesn't exist. Or that those with strong documentation and writing skills are more highly valued, even in organizations where ability to relate to others is key to the mission. So, for example, the ability to know that it is to whom it may concern, or rather or that rather than conjuncts, a better word would be conjoins or intersects or something else, might be more valued than someone who gave the incorrect grammar or incorrect spelling of a word. Another place where we get tripped up about written words is the belief that there is one right way to do things, and usually only one right way, and that once and, and, that once people are introduced to that right way to do things, that they see the light and they adopt it. When the Spaniards, as Western Christian Europeans, came to conquer Latin America, they and did conquer Latin America, they instituted all these Western European written versions of records, and they messed everything up. They assumed incorrectly that the Latin Americans had no idea about land ownership and property and rules and laws and all that, but in fact, they had a very complex system of keeping track of things like that. It was already in place. The problem was it wasn't the system that the Spaniards knew. It wasn't their dominant system, so they didn't value it. They believed there was one right way to do things, and it was their way. And often, that's what happens. The dominant culture then will also declare the unwillingness to change 
the system's wrong because they think their system is right. I have an Easter story about that. When I grew up, um, the Easter bunny came. We got an Easter basket. But we came home from church, because we went to church really early. We came home from church, and we hid the eggs. Someone, an adult, went out and hid the eggs, and all the kids went out and found them. Now, how many for you growing up, if you celebrated Easter, how many of you, the Easter bunny hid the eggs? Well, I was in my 40s and was um, had a what I would call the daughter of my heart. And her first Easter, when you know she was capable of hunting eggs, the mother kept saying, "The Easter Bunny hide the e- hides the eggs," and and I didn't get it. It's like the Easter Bunny hides the eggs, and I, I it took me a long time of her saying that before I realized, oh, oh, the Easter Bunny is me. I'm coming over while they're at church and hiding the eggs so that um, Maya can find them when she comes home. But it was so foreign to what I had experienced growing up that I still think it's wrong, um, that, <laughs> that, that it just took me so... It was just one of those pivotal moments where I go... Oh, this is my lesson, right? So I would say also that if you think about that in your own life, where you've had a way of thinking that this is the way things are done, and then it, you come up against that it's not done that way, that it, um, it, it, it does sort of throw us for a loop. And I would say that we have seen this phenomenon with every marginalized culture and oppressed group that exists, right? That, And we've seen it this week. It's happened this week. If you want to conquer a people or a country or a group with a marginalized identity, you just go in with a different system, take them over, pass new laws that harm instead of help, laws that are on books, so there are punishments if they aren't followed. After Hurricane Katrina, when the levees broke and flooded the Ninth Ward, some folks have a, had a hard time getting back into their homes. And one of the things that happened was that the U.S. government had a system of how things were supposed to be done and how they, how they handled these things. But the people in the Ninth Ward had their homes, many of them, because they had been passed down from generation to generation to generation without written documentation or a change in deeds. So the families understood this system, but the government didn't. There's now a special home and housing association that's set up in order to help folks navigate bank foreclosures and eminent domain takeovers. And you may be thinking, well, it's the law. They should have transferred and recorded the deed. But, you know, should they? They have their own system that worked for them all those years. And we have cultures within cultures within cultures, even here in the United States. It's not just in Latin America with the Spaniards. As Unitarian Universalists, we say that we're a people of deeds, not creeds. But I wonder about that. Consider the examples we have of our own written words just for our congregation. 
We have several written documents that we lift up and hold, if not sacred, very dear to our hearts. And at least they get lifted up in meetings as being rather exemplary. We have the Constitution and bylaws, which we have to have. We have the church covenant. Love is the spirit of this church. We say it every Sunday. We have the mission statement. Embracing diversity, nurturing spirituality, promoting justice in the world. And we have the covenant of loving relations. There are copies in the back for those of you that want to check that out after the service. And a few years ago, this church unanimously voted on a climate change resolution to commit to support efforts and adopt practices that will minimize the use of fossil fuels to reduce our carbon footprint. There are copies in the back for that, too. I made them special for today. I've noticed at our board meetings that we have a tendency to talk first, and then someone makes a motion, and then we vote, because... um, because that's just the way we do it. It just seems for a small church and a small board, that works just fine. It may take a little bit longer, but the process just feels a little more relational. It feels more in line with who we are as people. But at our congregational meeting, it says in our bylaws, we follow Robert's rules of order. And that means that someone actually has to know all those rules, right? Um, but bo- at both board meetings and committee meetings, we rely on our bylaws if we have a question. So often, or at times, I have seen us go back and say, well, what do the bylaws say about this? If we're, if we're, if we have a question about something, that's what we check. We check to make sure that we're doing it according to bylaws because we get a sense then of how we, most often, we get a sense of how we should proceed. They, the bylaws become something we can rely on and go back to to see if we're doing things, and this is the important part, the way that the community has agreed to do them. And that's the hinge and the, and the shift to covenant. We can call anything a covenant, but it's not a covenant unless we agree to it and we adhere to it. It doesn't matter so much what way we do things, or what process we choose. What matters is that we talked about it and made decisions together about how we're going to be together, and that we've considered those who are missing from the conversation but should be included in the conversation. This applies to to those, to who we are, not just in the church, but also outside in the work that we do in the community but as individuals and as a church as well. It's one of the gifts we can offer to others, the gift of learning their community so that we see how they do things before rushing in with their own right way, before we rush in with our own right way, or, okay, I. It's one of the gifts that I can offer a community to see how they do things before I rush in with my right way. So we can use Robert's rules for all the decisions, no matter what the decision is, or we can talk about issues and come to consensus, or we can use a mixture of the two. What's important, though, is that we talk about it and agree that this is what we're using. And it also matters how we come to that decision, that we don't assume that we're doing it a certain way because that's what we know already or it's the way it's always been done. This is where true covenant comes in. It's not the written word of the covenant. 
that matters, but how we actually live that out. Even the word covenant, we use that word because it's our dominant culture word. It's pretty big in Unitarian Universalist circles, but you can call it whatever you want. It's really a variation of intent versus impact. It doesn't matter what's on the paper. We can point to it and say, this is our policy, or look, we can feel good about it because these are the words we say, embrace diversity, nurturing spirituality, promoting justice. But it's no good, really, until we figure out how we live that out in the world. The covenant itself is not the written word, but it's the meaning behind the words and the meaning we give it and our commitment to it. Sometimes what happens, um, as Michael Dowd and Connie Barlow point out, the written word becomes stagnant and static and unchanging. And then it becomes sort of law, spoken or unspoken, and there's no room for it to change and evolve. It's happened, I think, in some religions where they take the written word and they adhere to that. For example, um, people who are biblical literists, right? They take the Bible literally and say, we have to, it, it means this and it always has meant this. And I think we're dealing with that now with these draconian abortion laws that those are based entirely on some static and racist beliefs that are misinformed and misguided and they're harmful and cruel. And human, what happens is that humans begin to worship those scripture words instead of what's truly the intent of the message or the story. Story and word of mouth were the way things used to be passed down. And, and in the passing of those, they could change and evolve and adapt according to how the culture changed and as life changed and as the need arose to change the story. We Unitarian Universalists call our faith the, a living tradition. It's right on our hymnal, right? It means that we choose to grow and deepen, and we hope that change like that is embraced and welcomed. Sometimes it's painful, but if we're going to live out what we value, it's what we're called to do. I'm going to tell you that the climate change resolution that you passed several years ago saved me this week. I've been feeling some kind of way about the state of our planet, And my heart is broken. But there are people out there working every day, every moment, to save life as we know it. And you know what? We see those people often as the fringe. Those crazy climate activists. Right, Maria? (laughs) They have been called that many times. And yet... The corporate folks in suits, the ones doing the most damage to the planet, are seen as the norm and the mainstream and people to emulate and be when we grow up. But those that we see on the fringe are doing their best to save us all. I don't know if we'll be in time to save it. 
But yesterday, and mostly because I'm the minister of a congregation that unanimously approved a climate change resolution, when I was asked to go, I went. I went to that action at the courthouse to stop the Mountain Valley Pipeline. I was weepy most of the drive there, just lamenting what has happened and the state that we're in. But when I got there, what I found was a substantial group of people who brought music and story and song and dance and face painting and art and a huge, huge puppet that was beautiful. They brought passion and joy and hope and courage and creativity and compassion. And if they didn't bring it with them, then they found it when they got there, as I did. And I realized that for me, I need to go to events like that. I need the hope that it gives me. I need to bring my broken heart to those places because my broken heart means that I still care, that I have not hardened it, that I can still feel. And this is not the time to be alone. This is not the time to isolate ourselves. This is the time to be in community, to come to church, to get involved, to find joy where we can. Covenant is about relationship. And I realize that for me, I need to be in a better relationship with the people who are doing that work. Ultimately, isn't that what covenant means? that we care about each other beyond our beliefs and beyond the words that we use, that we show up for each other day after day, moment by moment, guided by the spirit of love. I want to encourage us to live the spirit of our bylaws, our mission, our covenants, and our resolutions. And honestly, let's make them stories of hope and growth. Let us be willing, if necessary, to change the written words, to question those words if we need to, not just here, but in our personal and national lives as well, and also to be willing to change our story. We may be foolish, like some say Pandora was, but when everything is unleashed, when everything else is gone, hope is the last thing left in the box. May those words that we do hold tight remind us who of who we want to be and who we choose to be.